idea of Lamp Lounge is to connect with creatives around central Pennsylvania and beyond to learn about what they do, learn about their professionalism, and see how you can apply it in your work. And also so you can network with these people because everybody we're gonna have on the show is an absolute incredible person. And today we have Roland Bingaman, who is uh, a good friend of mine and a composer out of central Pennsylvania. And so we're gonna kind of get things started um, and we'll start it off by having Roland introduce himself and then we're gonna get into a conversation and just see where it goes. There's no script. I'm just interested to learn about Roland, what he does, how he does it, um, the hard parts about what he does, the, the great parts about what he does. And you know, we're gonna get very real and very raw and just hope that you, the viewer, see this as an opportunity to learn about other professions that could benefit you in the future. And that um, you know, Lamp Candy is here for you, the network and the creative industry. Thanks for having me on, that's cool. What do you do? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a composer uh, and singer and songwriter. Um, and so I compose music and I write songs. How did you get started? We first met online yeah. when a certain camera came out. It yeah. was the Sony FS700, and now yeah. you're a composer. So yeah. how did you, why did you want to get an FS700? And we met in a Facebook group, um, and you won a contest. Yeah. And yeah. there was just a lot of things happening at that time frame. So like, yeah, talk about yeah. your intro to video and music and how it all kind of worked together. Yeah, sure. So music for me has always been um, just part of my life and something I always kind of wanted to do. But um, yeah, at a certain point, you have to kind of like get a real job or whatever. And um, found myself uh, in a band trying to do music. And through music, I found video. So I was making videos for my band and other bands at the time. And when the band thing didn't work out, I got a job at a marketing agency making like commercial videos and corporate videos and stuff like that. Um, so it was like in the in the era of the DSLR uh, mm -hmm. thing. So yeah. like I came in with like a Rebel T2i. Oh, that was it, man. It yeah. was when like Philip Bloom was like king of indie filmmaking. And so <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to like get to the next step. And that's when I started following a guy named Tom Welsh who was making videos for uh, some other bands in the UK. And he was shooting on an FS700 and the slow-mo was amazing. And that's when I joined the Sony FS700 user group on Facebook and um, connected with you because you were shooting yeah. with that kid. Yep, I, I as well started, T2i was my first, yeah. DS, first DSLR with interchangeable lenses. Yep. And uh, before that I had a couple other cameras, but that was like my intro into like depth, depth of field, yeah. you know, and you could really get it for a great price. Um, and then moving forward, like the FS700 was one of those yeah. next step cameras. That, yeah. Like when I first got it, the first thing I did is slam that bad boy <laughs> into slow-mo and go film some skiing. 240 and, frames like, a second. Dude, that was it. And like get the snow just like I remember your old off of ski rails videos, and stuff yeah. like that. And, <laughs> it was like, awesome. That was like, man, this is so sick. Yep. Um, and so like technology in that aspect is just phenomenal. And yeah. then it's like, you know, this is when like the transition to a lot of networking online was happening as yeah, well yeah. Um, in groups and just learning and edu getting education from other people. Yep. And that's, I saw you on this Facebook user group and I think you posted something about um, getting an FS700 or you're shooting with one and yeah. you're in central Pennsylvania. And I was like, wait, 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 wait what? <laughs> yeah, like there's another else. guy in central Pennsylvania with an FS700. Yeah. And I was like, we got to meet. Yeah. And that was kind of how we met. Yeah, it's so cool to like think about how 
that got uh, connection started yeah. from that awesome camera. And so you talked about like getting a real job yeah. from music into marketing. Like define what a real job is to you. Yeah. And because yeah. my version of a real job might be totally different, and so right. it might be the viewer's you know perception of a real job. So, sure. You know, defi define that. So at the time, and I would say now it's it's even different than what it was back then. So back then I was playing shows and all the money I was making was kind of going back into the band and into van maintenance and you know gear and stuff like that so it was like there was no income from that and that had gone on for a while so for me it was getting a job at a an agency where I was able to just make the videos someone else was bringing in the clients someone was bringing in the work I had a salary you know a steady paycheck so that to me was like the security of like a real job yeah. Um, and then you've been doing the freelance thing for so long that I, I've always like wanted that, but I've always been so afraid of like the freelance thing. Um, it's, in, it's interesting because like when I graduated college, you used music as like your outlet to like create things. Yeah. And when I was in college, I always filmed skiing and skateboarding. And cool. when I went for marketing, I was like, I'm going to do video projects for all my yeah. papers and stuff. So I yeah. tried to push that and it was awesome. When I graduated, I applied for two jobs okay. uh, right out of college, and one was with a bank, and one was with like a web design company okay. um, for marketing. And I didn't get either of them. I remember I was on vacation. I did both interviews. I went to the Outer Banks with a bunch of friends, yeah. um, and I was like, I, "I'm I'm going to get one of these jobs. Yeah. It's going to be great." And I didn't. Oh, I got geez. both calls in the same day that I didn't get either oh, job, my gosh. Um, which was kind of like a real big bummer. But like for me, that was a turning point. It was 2010. Um, the economy wasn't super ideal. And for me, that was a turning point that I was like, I'm just going to do video full time. Like it's what mm. I love to do. Yeah. Um, and then I started filming weddings full time as my source of income. Yeah. And so I got super deep into that and I loved it, but I don't know anything else other than freelance. It's what I've yeah. been doing. Um, and so like you deemed it as like a little scary and like, yeah, yeah. you wanted that security. Whereas like on my end, it's like, the freelance side of things was such, that's what I know. And that's yeah. how I started. Um, and now it's led me to like being able to connect with so many different people in the area. And yeah. like, I wouldn't change it for anything. Exactly. No, that is, that's awesome. Because I feel like that's a lot of people's experience. You either just dump, jump, jump in head first and just like really hustle and make it work. And then it took me years to finally get to a point where I was like, ready to make the jump into music again full time. Um, and so that was, you know, I was doing video for maybe eight years, eight, yeah. nine years at different companies. I remember um, seeing online, there was a Philip Bloom contest and yeah. that, I forget what it was called. You you would probably know. My I mean, yeah, it was my, yeah. Road, my road real contest. Yeah. And maybe that is like also how we connected a little bit is that you won it. Yeah. That, which was a pretty big contest yeah. when it was still going on. And maybe it's still going on. I don't know. I haven't um, looked yeah. at it recently, but like, that's awesome. So like yeah. kind of talk about your experience of winning a contest and like, what did that do for you personally in terms of like, can I do this on my own? Is this yeah. something I can move forward with? You know, we created this and we won this contest and you probably worked with some other people on that. Yeah. Um, but just kind of go through that process a little bit of how the idea came to be, why you sure. entered and what was the benefit of it? Yeah, yeah. So it was the My Road Reel competition, and they they are still doing it. And the the prizes get crazier and crazier every year, like like tons of money. 
And now it's just money. Like, oh, really? You it's win like $100,000. Like, oh, geez. It's crazy. So, like, from where it started to where it is now, it, that, that contest has gone like bananas. Um, so, I was, I entered the first year of the contest and um, I basically like had this idea, like, doing like narrative work and like short films was never really something I, I liked music videos and short little documentaries and stuff. So, this was like, I had this idea, it was kind of cheesy, but I wanted to see if I could make it work and just had a ton of fun doing it. And it was like, I had to do every, every step of the process kind of myself in like pre, from pre-production to writing the script. Concept creating, yeah, pre-pro, storyboards, producing, location yeah, scouting. Exactly. Talent, all of that acquisition. Stuff. It was exhausting. Yeah. And so when we went to shoot it, I had... Um, help. My brother was running um, like the sound for me. I had a buddy helping me with like camera stuff and then another friend who was there to just help with whatever. Um, so there were four of us and I used my cousin, my grandfather as the actors. Everybody that's in it is, most of the people in it were related to me and so we shot it at my family's house. Like it was like very indie, low budget, Use your friends and family yeah. and just make something. It looks phenomenal. Thanks, it looks man. so it was good. FS seven hundred, dude, and the broken on cine glass, like the first old school kind. Yeah, I forget yeah. if they're like DS or something. Uh, I couldn't tell you. One of those. I don't know, they were very cheap, and I bought a a set. No, I rented a set. It was the first time I ever rented anything. So like, rent were you it. nervous to rent something yeah. for the first time? It was the lowest. It was like the. The cheapest thing I could rent without having to provide like insurance, <laughs> and I didn't yeah. have that, and I was like, I didn't even know what that was, and so it's like, I guess if these are the only lenses I can rent, I will rent these. Yeah, and so I got. Well, it's them. not a bad option. Yeah, they look great. Cool. They looked great, and it also has you know the nice focus throw and yeah. the basics of a cinema lens that you need. Yeah, so it was cool to get like the experience of that. Um, but I think for me, what was the most interesting thing from that was that was the first time I composed music to picture. Oh, so, so, so it was pretty formidable for me to like. So you composed it as well. Yeah. And edited it. Yeah, yeah. Man. So I had to, I did like all the steps. So it yeah. was like, that's why it was so exhausting because I was wearing so many different hats. And then, um, but yeah, writing the music for it was, was like really like. See, I didn't know you did the music for that. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah, it was the first time I ever like, I bought um, some like orchestral samples. It was the first time I ever did anything like that. Okay and scored the whole thing. And I was like, man, this was the most fun part for me was writing the music to the picture. Like making it was fun because you're hanging out, you're doing yeah. something creative, but it was like exhausting. Yeah. And editing it too was exhausting. But then like when I got to the music part, I found myself, like I fell in love with that. And so it was like music came back in a big way for me um, from that. And then it ended up winning, like the judges yeah. pick or whatever. There's a bunch of different categories, but like the main thing was like this judges pick, and that's incredible. It won that. I couldn't even believe it. Like I, like wept at my computer. Like it's like this is amazing. I won a bunch of like gear and um, a bunch of road mics that I still have at, right. at my house. So that's it was it was a really cool experience. Man, that's awesome. And it was. Um, Ryan Connolly was one of the judges, okay. and Philip Bloom was a judge, and they both made comments when they announced the winners about the music. And so that was to me like, man, that That's is perfect, really That's cool. So awesome. and that was super encouraging to to get that kind of feedback specifically about like that element that um, 
just it meant a lot and so it was yeah. encouraging so so that was your first experience composing something for video essentially yeah. yep. um so you hit the ground running in a sense of like you felt what it's like to have positive feedback on yeah. something you've creatively composed mm -hmm. for a film that you shot yeah. was that like the start of like oh hey i could potentially do this as a career and make a living out of that it was more of like the start of a dream of that i i didn't think that that would ever be possible to be honest yeah. for the longest time and that's something i always wanted but just never thought that it would be possible um and so after that i I wrote the music for a buddy of mine, um, Zach Dalton. I scored his film um, that he entered into a bunch of contests and it won best score in one of the film festivals. That's so like, awesome. Again, it was like, man, this is so fun and I love doing this, but like, how do I monetize this? How do I make this like an income? Yeah. And it just didn't, it's still like for years, it did not seem possible, but I just kept doing it on the side and um, just getting more practice and, yeah, I just, man, I just got the chills when you were talking about that because you're like, you you had a really good thing that you asked yourself is like, man, I love doing this. Yeah. How do I make an income? Right. You know, and I think like as a lot of like freelance creatives and other creatives in the creative world and industry that we're in, um, we all ask ourselves that. Yeah. It's like, man, I love making videos. Or I yeah. love taking photos. How do I make money? How do I do this as a job? And like yeah. personally, like I've always been under the assumption that it's like, I find a niche that's not too competitive. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm giving away my secret sauce here, but like you find a niche, it's not too competitive. Yeah. And then I've learned to love that and you go after it. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's what I've kind of done and fostered a lot of my business growth on personally. Um, but it's like, there are those moments where it's like, when you're first starting out, it's like, how do I make money? Yeah. It's like, I have a camera, I've invested some money into my personal kit. Right. Um, how do I go find clients? How do I find people that want my work? Right. Like, so I have my way that I did it, which is I did a lot of free work in the beginning and just making videos and making videos. Yeah. And it sounds kind of similar to what you did is like yeah, you had yeah. a couple projects that you were scoring to gain more experience. Um, so talk about your first paid project then. So like you go from doing two phenomenal projects that have won awards and then you get into, well, I have, I have tracks that I've composed. Yeah. Now, how do I turn that into money? Right, right. Um, and even that was like almost more of like a recent discovery. Like it, it took so long for me to get to a point where it was like actual money was coming in. So I did a couple free projects for my friend Zach Dalton, who's a really good uh, director out of Ohio. And he got a project that had a budget. And he was just able to pay me something. And it was incredible. It was more than I thought I would. I think it was like $1,000 or something. And that's just what they had, the client had set aside for a budget. But um, yeah, just like getting money for that, for music was like, what in the world? This yeah. is crazy. Um, and then exploring different avenues like micro licensing, like, so like Artlist. Okay. My brother and I had have a, a pop band and we had an album that, was just kind of out and Artlist was like a new thing. Mm -hmm. And so I sent the album to them and they liked it and put it on their site. And then uh, they do payouts every year. So at the end of the year, we ended up making like a couple thousand dollars from that. And we were like, That's great. oh my gosh. Here you are sitting with like, this album and like you yeah. find an outlet that you can utilize it and yeah. you make money on it. 
Uh, we've made more money with microsyncs from that website than I ever did like touring in a band. Like, it's crazy. And you can do it from your home. And you can do it from, we don't have to do anything. That album is like from 2014 and it's still making us money on yeah. Artlist. And so like that was when I didn't know anything about music licensing. I didn't know anything about sync on TV. Um, I knew nothing. And so it was just like this thing and um, put music on there then. So I put a couple more songs on there and you know, that was just like once a year that sort of pays out. Yeah. Just like, that was the coolest thing ever to get like a little bonus outside of my full-time job. Yeah. Um, and so that sort of like got me on this course of like, okay, I need to learn more about how other people are, are doing this for a living because I want to do this. And so I would say for two years, I just tried to learn and watched videos and watched interviews <laughs> with other composers and networked with other composers. Yeah, so it was a long networking process for me. Yeah. Um, I think that's how I personally made the jump from weddings to commercial yeah. was is a long process and you start to meet the right people and you connect with them while you still have another source of income. So it kind of, you utilize one source of income yeah. while you can also work on diversifying yeah. or start to work towards another source of income. Yeah. And mine was kind of a, was a wedding shift to commercial shift. Yeah. I could film weddings on the weekends. I had a phenomenal editor for um, weddings, Brandon Kistner. And then it gets, um, during the weekdays, I was then able to start doing commercial work yeah. and freelancing that way. Yeah. Um, and then it was kind of like, it was weddings and commercial. And then it got to this point. And then I, it got to this point where I was like, okay, I have a family. I don't necessarily yeah. want to be working every weekend. And then I need to make that shift to get right. commercial up there. Um, and it was a big jump. You know, it's, it's yeah. scary. So talk about, you have music on Artlist. You have, you're growing your commercial side, or yeah. I guess composing, commercial composing. Yeah. Um, maybe that's how you say it. I don't know. But you have your music. Right. And then you have your video production job. Yeah. And then it, there's a point where you made the shift and you went full-time composing. Yeah. And so talk about that jump of, having stability, doing really well, working with a great company, yeah. and then almost taking a leap to what you're really great at as well. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. So, like I said, it was about a two-year process of networking and learning. Um, oh, was there somebody specific, I wanted to ask this earlier, was yeah. there somebody specific that like really helped guide you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and how did you build that relationship with them? You know, okay. did you just cold email them and say, yeah, "Hey, yeah. I love your work. Can we get coffee or a drink yeah. or can we go out to dinner?" And what was their response? Sure. So, during that phase of of trying to learn and networking, I I cold emailed a bunch of different composers that I would just find on Instagram and I'd look through Musicbed and look up some of those guys and and message them and just literally just be very honest and say, "I am somebody who wants to get into this. Uh, here's some of the tracks I've written in the past. I would love if you had some time, if we could like connect, mm -hmm. talk on the phone, listen to my stuff, give me feedback, tell me what's bad, tell me what I can work on. Um, were, you, were you rejected at all in uh, any of those? 99% of the time, yeah. So how did you personally take that? You know, if you're like these, these people that I deem successful in this industry and that are successful in this yeah. industry, you know, they're not, they don't have the time or they're not, yeah. you know, able to help. Yeah. You know, personally, that can be tough. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, so how did you kind of turn that into something positive? Or did you get that one contact that said, yes, you know, one out of a hundred that yeah. really was able to kind of help you? Yeah. So 
two parts. I did get one person that responded, and that dude changed everything for me, and I'll talk about him, but how I, how I reacted to that was a lot of them, a lot of the social media, you can see if, the, if a message has been read or seen, yeah. and so they were all, everybody saw it, and I just, you know, I took away from that. I, I half expected that, but I took away that if I'm ever at a position where someone is trying to get into this and they message me, I'm not going to be one of those guys. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be like that because it sucks. It sucks to, and, and I know people are busy and I know people don't have time, but yeah. if I'm in that position, I'm going to at least like thank the person for reaching out. And mm -hmm. I, so you know, that made me decide a total attitude shift. If I ever get into this and I get to a point where some kid's asking me for advice, yeah. I'm gonna take the time to help that person because it sucks to be left on, on red. And um, Daniel Treliza is a composer who has been doing this for years. And he's the one person that did message me back. And he was super enthusiastic about it and took the time to listen to my music, um, saw the potential in my music and really like mentored me for a solid like I want to say a year before That's I ever incredible. started to really like kind of put myself out there and try and make and try and make money it was it was a long building process yeah and I think that a lot of people trying to get into something make the mistake of thinking that this is just going to happen right away yeah. and it does it takes work and it takes a lot of hours um it takes a lot of sacrifice in the in the background you know you have a, a family, I've yeah. got a family, and so it would be getting home from my job, making sure I spend time with my son. When he goes to bed, I'm downstairs like writing music yeah. from 8 p.m. to 12, you know, midnight, yeah. or one in the morning, like just trying to build that foundation and um, I don't know, make my stuff worth people's money. Like, you know, you wanna make sure yeah. you're providing someone with something that's worth it. but. Yeah, Daniel Treliza really um, made a big impact on me because he took the time to help and he taught me a lot of the stuff and gave me a lot of the connections that are now, yeah, Daniel Treliza is the dude that took the time to invest in me and help mentor me. And because of him, most of the contacts I have now that are, that, that have made it possible for me to do this as a full-time career ha have come from connections from Daniel. So it's just this networking. It, it is in who you know and who you build relationships with. And yeah. so that's, that's been the biggest uh, thing for me is making sure you have a good product, like making sure my music is good enough to be used in things, but also just try not to be a crappy person and like <laughs> making friends with people that you work with. All the, yeah. all the publishers and, and people that I write with and write for, I would consider friends, not yeah. like business associates. You know, yeah. like we can talk about whatever and um, it's all very low key and we're just all trying to like, we all have the same objective yeah. and that's to make a living with music and, you know. No, 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 that's, that's, that's incredible stuff, man. So you've worked with Daniel, you've grown your network yeah. um, and you're getting to a point now where you're making these contacts and these connections. Um, do you still do video work? Were you doing video work? Was video kind of... Was music kind of taking over a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. So the process was, I kind of had like a two to three year goal of getting enough under, getting enough um, in my music catalog to be able to leave my full-time job to do music. Um, that was cut short by COVID because the company I was working at 
had to lay everybody off. Um, and that for me was like, you know what? This is it. I'm, I have to make this work now. Okay, so we're talking like a year and a half ago, two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Not, I mean, maybe, I guess it's a year and a half now at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, that, that, that really put my kind of two to three year plan on fast forward. And I had to like <laughs> jump in really quickly. And I was writing more music than I ever had because I didn't have to go to a job every day. So yeah. it was like, I, I really busted it and hustled hard um, during the last year and a half. And so you were forced into a position where you had to make that leap. You're like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yep. And for, for a while in between, I was shooting uh, freelance mm -hmm. just every now and then. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't end up going back to my full-time job. And I, I said, you know, I would be willing to, to run camera for yeah. you guys freelance. And, you know, my rates are nothing fancy. So it was like doable. And, you know, it was, it was fine to do a day here and there. And then, like, slowly but surely, like, the music thing really started to take up more of my time to where I was saying, I'm not available for that shoot. I can't. That's incredible. I can't do anything. And then that led to a pretty big documentary. Um, was that, so, um, was the documentary, like, your first real hit-the-ground-running paycheck job? Or did you have one previous to that? Yeah. So, I had a couple before the documentary. So what I was doing was writing custom music for ads, like big ad campaigns, like, like TV, national ads, AT&T, Nike, Taco Bell. So I was writing in for these ads and how it works with composing for TV commercials is you get a brief. And who who finds agency. you for the brief, I guess? Or like, yeah. so I understand it from a video side. Okay. I don't understand it from a composing side. Yeah. So kind of talk about how composing fits into concepts and creative and pitches and stuff sure. like that so there's like music is so massive that it's easier to break it up into like categories so there's like movie trailers there are composers who are only writing movie trailer scores um, then there are composers who are writing mainly tv advertisement scores and then there are like two picture composers who are doing like narrative work um, documentary work kind of more long form stuff. So because of like just having to like get into this, I was doing like full capacity of all of these things. Yeah. So I'm like, one day I'm writing a, a trailer, a custom brief for a trailer. The next day I'm doing like commercials and the next day I'm like pitching for like a narrative thing. So it's like very like full on overload to the <laughs> max, writing every single piece of music I can. And do you, when you do that, are there jobs that you pitch for and spend time on that you don't get? Yes. And what happens to yeah. that music? Totally. So um, right now I'm, I, I write with a couple different publishers. And the publisher is the company that's kind of the middleman between uh, creative agencies and composers. Um, and they're the ones that set up contracts. They're the ones that set up deadlines. They're the ones that are making sure that they, they kind of act as our agents. Got right? it. So they're the ones making sure that we're being taken care of and that... Um, you know, they can streamline the communication between creative agencies and composers. They're also the ones that are uh, doing all the sales work. And so the relationship with the publisher is important because I don't live in LA. Most of the work I do comes from LA, but I don't know. I don't know agencies You're out there. You're in central Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. I, I live in farms. <laughs> like I live in farmland country. So these guys are out there um, 
doing the groundwork to get relationships with agencies who will then send them a brief and they'll say like, we need a 30 second track for um, an AT&T commercial. Mm -hmm. Here's the specifications of what we want. Here's the budget. It's due tomorrow. So then they send that out to uh, the composers on their roster who you know would be more fitted mm -hmm. for that job. So I'll get a brief and I'll have a day to write something, to write as many things as I can, honestly. So like sometimes I'll try and crank out two tracks for a brief and... Um, and are you doing are you doing those tracks before even seeing any visuals or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, so it's it's split. Like half the time, they will have like a rough cut that we can see and score to picture, and then the other time it's like, here's the idea. Here's the idea. Yeah. Here's kind of the um, emotional emotional schedule of the thirty seconds. Like yeah. we want it to rise here, drop off here. Um, so yeah, you're just kind of like imagining the commercial, and that happens a lot, but. A few lucky times we'll get um, a, an actual picture lock and yeah. get to compose directly to picture, which is always kind of a relief because otherwise yeah. you're just guessing, especially with movie trailers. You never get a picture lock with movie trailers. So like, you kind of know like, hey, we want a, a score for the new uh, Indiana Jones movie that's coming out in like a year. So you just have to like imagine <laughs> what... <laughs> what audiences would want to see in an Indiana Jones trailer. Do you watch, like, do you go back and watch old trailers oh, for yeah. Indiana Jones constantly. and do some research? and Yeah, and yeah, um, constantly, because trailers are its own kind of beast. Like, it's its own separate thing, and um, it's a really, really uh, tough market to break into because it's very competitive, mm -hmm. and there are people that are doing very, very massive good tra trailer work. So, like, yeah. that is a really hard... Uh, area to kind of break into but um i've had a little bit of like success in in some ways in the trailer world so it's uh it's interesting but yeah for that you don't get you hardly get any kind of visual reference at all mm -hmm. it's all just like making it up and hoping that that's what the agency likes and if if that agency cuts a trailer you know like three other agencies have cut trailers so then all these different trailers with all these different scores go to the movie studio and then whichever one they like is the one they like. That's and then wild. everything else is forgotten. Like, so, so I guess that, that brings me to another question is what happens to these, all these briefs uh, that you yeah. pitch for? What happens to these tracks? Do they, do they have like an, I don't know what it would be, like an NDA or non-compete. Like is that track technically like can't be used for anything else? Or can you pocket yeah. that and you're like, oh, here's this brief. This didn't get chosen. Right. Um, it's... It's different from publisher to publisher, but most of the time, um, if I write something that doesn't get used in a, in a commercial, which happens a lot, like I write a lot of music that does not get used. It's it just it's part of the game. Um, that music stays on my library on that publisher, so that when an agency comes and they're like, "Well, we want something like this," they already have music to pitch to them. And then if yeah. they don't like any of that. That's sometimes when they do the custom stuff. Got it. So, um, so it's a benefit that you do. You can do two or three different tracks yeah. for pitches because it essentially gets cashed, and that's mm -hmm. kind of job security for the future. Yeah. So, and it's great because like when you build up a library for yourself, a buddy of mine that's on the publisher, he wrote a song like seven years ago, and it just got licensed for an Apple commercial, which is huge. That's sick. And he's like, I I wrote this seven years ago. Yeah. I didn't even think it was that good. And it's just been it's just been sitting on the library, and that's what they liked. 
And so it gets used. So it's like, yeah. it's not a bad thing to write stuff and not get used because really you're just, you're helping yourself build right. that, um, build that catalog up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, that as an experience to be had um, in the freelance world, it's like you connect with people. Yeah. And the big thing that I've learned is like you connect with somebody or a new director or production company and you have that initial meeting yeah. um, as a freelance DP you have this thought that you're like, man, I can't wait to get work with these people. It's going to yeah. happen. Um, but more oftentimes than not, you have this meeting and you don't hear from that person for a year yeah, or a year and a half. Yep. And all of a sudden you get a phone call randomly out of the blue and you've set the groundwork and you laid, you've laid the groundwork, you know, two years ago. And now all of a sudden they have a need for your services and your yep. skills. And and all of a sudden the next year you're booked with this company. Yeah. Um, so I've learned personally that like, it's a long-term game. It's not a short-term game. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, I want to be doing my best work in the future, 10 years from now Yeah. and have even better and more connections 10 years from now. And even if we just have a conversation today, mm -hmm. I know that like that's worth something in the future. Totally. If, even if financially nothing happens with it. Yeah. Like you constantly like have to be like the best version of yourself because it's gonna, it can benefit you later on. Right. Um, so. Yeah. What was your first ad that was on national TV? I know I saw one yeah. around Christmas time. Yeah. Um, and I saw it even before you posted anything about it. I saw the ad. I was like, man, how did they shoot that? There must have been a lot of VFX and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And like a couple of days later, you make a Facebook <laughs> post. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding yeah, me? Like yeah. you can post that? Um, so awesome. talk, talk about like an experience that like, the first time you landed like a national ad or yeah. a trailer or something along those lines, it really affirmed or that really confirmed the fact that like I'm in the right industry, I'm doing what yeah. I want to do and like the sky's the limit, I'm going to keep working hard. So yeah, so it was a, for a company called ServiceNow and they have like, it's like a productivity app. So it's designed to help companies like streamline their whole process from start to finish. And so they did a, a, Christmas, a Christmas ad and that was a custom brief that came through and it actually came through Daniel Treliza. Um, and he was like, hey, do you want to write in on this ad? Um, and this is another did, composer that's reaching yeah, out to you about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so we were on the same publisher. Um, and, you know, it just so happened that he got the brief. I didn't get the brief, but he thought, you know what? Ron might do a good job on this. So he gave me the chance to um, write on the brief. And so, you know, I got the information sent in it was supposed to be this like bouncy like film scorey like orchestral thing i had never even done that style before so it was like a total learning experience to just get like real bouncy orchestral stuff yeah. and real happy stuff because everybody like wants to do like the cinematic cool stuff mm -hmm. and so this was super fun and i actually found that i loved making that genre of music and i felt really good about what i wrote and i, I submitted it and like a couple days later found out the, the client wanted to go with my piece um, and then I found out that there were like 20 different versions of the commercial. So I had to do different versions of the song depending on the ad and then different lengths, like different cut downs. I had to do all the, the cut downs myself because it was like reorchestrating the piece. It wasn't, it wasn't like we could just go in and chop up the song. I had to like wow. really re-score re every single one almost. So it was a ton of work. But yeah. um it was so much fun. It was such a rush to get a project like that. And um, 
than to like see it on TV. It was Thanksgiving day. I was at my family's house for Thanksgiving and my dad had the TV on watching football and that commercial came on and I was like, oh my gosh, everybody, uh, dad, unmute the TV. Cause my dad mutes commercials. I'm like, dad, unmute the TV. This is my music. I scored this. And so like everybody was like, we turned it up and we listened to it and we saw it on TV. And it was like the coolest experience ever because like the amount of work that went into that and then boom, like there it was. Cause a lot of times, even if it gets like landed in something, you don't always end up seeing the commercial yeah. or like knowing what it ended up being. And so to see it like on TV was like just the best feeling and to know that like that, that money like was enough to, you know, support my family was like just a huge blessing. And it was, it was just such a cool way to, I don't know, just continue to like dive into this as a career. So it was, it was awesome. At any time anything gets synced, it's like the best feeling. And it, it hasn't worn off like one bit. I know I'm like very new to this, but I've said this before. It will never stop being super exciting when something gets placed. Like it's just the best feeling. The feeling you just talked about, you know, you see something on TV, the team that you worked with to mm -hmm. get it done, the work that you've put in, you're, you know, you're sitting around watching it with your family. You're like, this yeah. is incredible. Yeah. It's such a good feeling. Um, and you put in so much work for that. And it's such, such a well-deserved feeling. Um, you're providing for your family, you're providing for your mm -hmm. personal ambitions and your yeah. goals and stuff like that, which is so cool. Um, so you do custom tracks yeah. for ads like that, but then you're on Artlist and you're on the music bed. So talk about the difference between licensing like from Artlist or the music bed sure. and custom tracks and like where the benefits fit into each other, yeah. pros and cons type thing. Yeah, so, so music bed and Artlist are sort of what's known as like micro syncs and their place in the industry is, is nice because what it did was it allowed for lower budget um, projects to have access to music. Like before, like nobody could afford a thousand, two thousand dollar license for their short film that they were funding themselves. Um, so Musicbed and Artlist in different ways made it possible for music to be uh, reachable for creatives. Um, YouTubers, vloggers, stuff like that now have pretty inexpensive access to music that they can legally use in their stuff. Um, and so that definitely has a place for a certain market. Um, where I think custom scored music comes into play is when you have a project that you definitely want original music for, you have a specific need for music to help tell the story. Um, and if you just want something that other people don't have in there, videos like everything yeah. on music bed and art list are are going to pop up in other videos um, I, I, yeah you're 100 percent right there's been so many times where like <laughs> yeah. i'll see a video online and i'm like well we use that track before I yeah that in this um yeah so even from a creative standpoint like there i i'm starting to notice the difference yeah between like a yeah. i guess like a pre-written track and mm. something that's custom. Yeah, and there there's a lot of good music. Like, Musicbed is full of very high quality, yeah. real musicians. Yeah. So it's not even like, it's cliche music, but it's just, it's in other stuff. And so, and it's not written specifically for your project. Yeah. So the benefit comes in when you have a project and you have the chance to sit down with a composer and watch, watch your edit or watch your, references or, or just get on the same page, um, it's just gonna help tell the story better when you have something that's written for that story. Um, when the composer connects emotionally to 
uh, a piece of work, that comes out in the music every time. Um, and it really, makes, it really makes everything just feel more cohesive. You're, you're adding something to your story, not bending your story to the will of a pre-written track. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's, it's able to be more specifically your vision rather than, okay, well, this track works, so I'm just going to fit it into this person's track. Talking about telling a story, what are your goals? What are your visions? What do you want your story to be for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah. Um, Lord willing, it will, be, it will be what I'm doing now is composing. Um, I love coming from a video background and a directing background, I get directors. So whenever I, I go into a project with um, a director or a film agency, I'm always like coming at it from the mindset of if I was directing this, how would I want to interact with a composer? So it's kind of nice to have that understanding of what it's like to be on their side. Um, and so we can work together in a very chill way to get what they're hearing uh, come to life. And so, you know, I'd love to do more of that. I'd love to be doing more commercial work and more trailer work. And I, I feel like I'm, ha I'm living my dream job right now. Like, I love what I'm doing. And if I'm lucky enough to keep doing it, that's what I want to be doing. That's incredible. Well, Roland, we've been talking for about 50 minutes now, um, and I don't want to take too much of your time up any longer, but I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your expertise. Thank you for sharing your passion for the, what you do in the industry. Yeah. Um, and I hope that everybody listening and watching, you're able to learn something from this. And the biggest way that you can show support for the Lamp Lounge is just by sharing it with other people and just connecting that way. And that's what we're looking for. And I really just want to thank everybody for watching this first episode with Roland Bingaman. And he's based out of Central PA, does work all over the world. And you know, for any of your productions, if you have any needs for custom scores or music, check them out online. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks thank for you. Me.